Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to an emergency edition of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Thursday night, October 29th, 2020. And the reason for this emergency podcast is that Tony LaRussa has been named the next Chicago White Sox manager. LaRussa has managed 5,097 games as his career started with the Chicago White Sox, where he managed that ball club. From 1979 to 1986, he was just 34 years old when hired in 1979, and they got fired by Hawk Harrelson when Harrelson was the general manager, and Jerry Reinsdorf helped LaRussa get the job in Oakland, where he went on to win three straight American League pennants and a World Series title. In 1995, after the Athletics finished in last place in the American League West, LaRussa left Oakland to take the job in St. Louis. Part of this move was that Oakland had new owners purchasing the team. St. Louis was in dire straits at this time, also finishing fourth in the National League Central with a 62-81 and 81 record. The next four seasons were up and down for La Russa in St. Louis. The Cardinals had two winning seasons, including a divisional title, but it was seesawed with losing seasons. From 2000 to 2006, the St. Louis Cardinals made the postseason five times, winning the National League pennant in 2004 and losing in the World Series to the Boston Red Sox, but returning to the World Series in 2006 to beat the Detroit Tigers. The Cardinals reached the postseason in 2009 but got swept in the divisional round and in 2011 they won the World Series in seven games over the Texas Rangers. After that clincher, LaRussa retired from managing, has worked various front office positions, and was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 2014. And now, he's the Chicago White Sox manager again. There has been a huge negative outcry from White Sox fans when the news started to pick up again that LaRusso was going to be hired as the next manager. We laughed it off weeks ago when Bob Nightingale wrote about the possibility after the end of the season press conference 
when White Sox general manager Rick Hahn announced that Rick Renteria and Don Cooper were fired. Before we start sharing our thoughts about this decision, I think it's important for fans to hear straight from Rick Hahn about this decision, the process of hiring LaRussa, and how he, Jerry Reinsdorf, and Kenny Williams agreed together that LaRussa was the right choice. Here's Rick Hahn from the announcement press conference. Uh, this obviously uh, played out a little differently than I initially described I thought it would for all of you. Uh, when we discovered, when Tony was receptive to Jerry's original overtures about potentially coming back and taking this position, that changed the focus. Um, you know, I, I will say there were far more names considered, discussed, vetted, even interviewed than have been discussed publicly. I'm actually good with that because, as we said a few weeks back when we talked about this search, I'm not real keen on having names of, of those who don't get the job out there publicly. That's up to them if they want to disclose that. Uh, but it was a, a, a broader endeavor than what's been uh, at least leaked out to the media. Uh, but once it became clear that Tony was... Uh, very much open to this possibility the, the process did change and the focus became um, making sure we could figure out a way to make it work with Tony. Uh, as for the ultimate decision about how this takes place, or I should say the ultimate decision about going with Tony, you've heard me say over the last several years on major decisions uh, that it's a, uh, it's, it's about consensus, that it's a conversation uh, between the chairman, Kenny, and myself, and ultimately we come to a conclusion together. You know, quite frankly, sometimes it's uh, it, it moves along more quickly, like when we uh, talk about making the commitment necessary to sign a guy like Luis Robert, and sometimes it takes a little bit longer, like it perhaps does when you're deciding the right time to to pivot to a rebuild as we did a few years back. But the one thing that's consistent is that in the end, when the decision is made, we all are fully committed to making this work, everything work in the best interest of the White Sox. And everyone's on the same page when that final decision is made. And as you know, someone who was in the room discussing that decision, I can tell you that this was made with the intent solely on putting us in the best position to win championships. Uh, it's obvious or easy to fall back on some old old narratives that this was about friendship or potentially righting old wrongs or something like that. In the end, Tony was the choice because it's believed that Tony is the best man to take us in the to win, help us win championships over the next several years and usher us into what we expect to be a very exciting phase for for White Sox baseball. Uh, Part of my job as general manager is try to explain those thoughts to the fans and to the media. Uh, but I don't want to belabor that too much today. Instead, I'll pivot to another one of my responsibilities as GM, and that is to welcome home, uh, welcome back to an or the organization, Hall of Famer Tony Larusa, next manager to Chicago White Sox. Now that Tony Larusa has been named manager, what does this mean for the Chicago White Sox near future? And at the age of 76 years old, how long is this relationship going to last? Well, joining me now is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. 
The White Sox actually did it. They hired Tony La Russa. What are your thoughts about this decision? Well, yeah, I mean, as we've been talking about it when it first came out, you know, I thought that the floating of his name was a favor to a friend or just a way to flatter somebody through Bob Nightingale, the way that Jerry Reinsdorf has often used Bob Nightingale to just flatter people. But the longer the name persisted and the more other beat writers or national writers joined on and couldn't refute it. Maybe some were skeptical of it, but nobody could come out and say, like, it wasn't happening. Maybe think, okay, this is getting more real, uncomfortably real. Kind of reminded me of the James Shields trade a little bit in terms of just how quickly it went from being like, oh, just people are discussing it. Um, you know, it's it's uh, nothing imminent to all of a sudden happening. Yeah, this was a little bit more played out, but just like it, it grew in momentum. And then this morning I felt like I needed a actually sit down and register some thoughts that I've had about La Russa that I didn't think I'd need to do because we hadn't even seen like a proper interview cycle yet where you heard about various people being interviewed or, you know, secondhand uh, who had, who might or might not have been interviewed. It just, all of a sudden we heard from Dan Rowan the night before that uh, La Russa was going to be the guy and thinking like, oh, great. So I figured this morning I said to write down some thoughts, first guessing the move before it actually happened since I hadn't really officially done that. And now it's here, and I'm not impressed. I don't think anything about this afternoon's media conference was really impressive, um, even trying to isolate it from, you know, watching my Twitter feed where everybody's ripping on the idea. Just, you know, I, I don't know about you, but to me, there wasn't just a whole lot of confidence brimming from it. Oh, no. I mean, again, we played the audio of Rick Hahn before you and I spoke. And the beginning part of that press conference, I mean, Jim, we have... I don't want to say we've listened to every single minute that Rick Hahn's ever spoken to the media, but we listen to him often. And that just did not sound like a very confident Rick Hahn, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like when he came out at the end of the season press conference, you knew that that was his decision on his meaning behind the decision and his meaning of his words and being a lot more direct than usual about the thinking behind the action of the White Sox firing Rick Renteria and Don Cooper. Mm -hmm. he, he just sounded like, I don't know, reluctant that he had to go off this script because, as he said, as his duty as general manager, he is responsible for introducing the new manager uh, to White Sox fans and the media, and that's what he did as his duty as general manager. So when he brought up, and, and again, I, I wanted the, the listeners to hear Rick Hahn say that how they came across this, this decision is that they met together, Rick Hahn, Kenny Williams, and Jerry Reinsdorf, and together they decided that Tony La Russa was the right choice. I don't buy that, Jim, and I don't buy it based on the first 30 seconds of today's press conference from Rick Hahn. Well, I think I'm looking for the the exact line, but he said like it it was believed. It that was, it was a, believed. Yeah, yes. it was the passive voice, you know, no ownership of the who did the believing. That was a, a, a tip, and then yeah, it was the, the idea that like it's my duty as general manager. I also heard that and thought like I guess I have to, or these are my obligations. But then I, I got to thinking like the the one thing that I will say about Han and and we've heard him talk and so forth. The, the only other circumstances that we've had for this were 
when the White Sox hired Rick Renteria to replace Robin Ventura, and that was the day after Ventura was fired. There was no search. It was just all kind of a formal promotion. And he didn't have a whole lot of spirit behind that one either. That was more like, I know I'm going to have to the fact that we didn't have a search, that we that were doing an internal hire, that we're doing, uh, you know, prioritizing um, just a, a seamless transition versus having a whole new era. And so he didn't have a whole lot of, um, you know, confidence or enthusiasm about that one either. But, you know, I thought back to Kenny Williams when he hired uh, Robin Ventura, and partially that was, you know, I think, um, you know, happy to be done with the whole Ozzie Guillen era and everything that Ventura represented as a fresh change with somebody who had no experience. But you just had a lot more uh, vigor behind it, more like, you know, the, the classic Kenny Williams confidence, <laughs> even if, you know, uh, sometimes some of his confidence is just like uh, faking it till you make it. There is something to be said for just showing some enthusiasm behind your decision. I guess the fact that it might not have been Han's decision or really doesn't seem like it was Han's decision at any point uh, maybe explains lack of enthusiasm. But, yeah, considering the the amount of um, st- or the stress that he put on the fact that the White Sox had been too insular and that the uh, he was looking forward to a wide-open search and getting fresh ideas and then going to a manager who had been retired for nine years and is 76 years old and wasn't his idea, it did seem like a big letdown. Because this should have been like the whole, uh, you know, this is going to be a golden age of White Sox baseball. You, know, you can't do a press conference where you hold up the jerseys and take photos and such. But it's kind of, you know, opportunity where it's not a hire made out of shame or a firing out of shame. It's a, it was an exciting firing. Like Rick Renteria did a decent job, but we can do better. So I, I think there's supposed to be that kind of groundswell right. where this is, you know, a, a, a big transition in history or, or this current era of White Sox baseball. And it just did not happen. Well, as far as the, this process, I mean, Rick Hahn's not going to name names, right? It, that's going to be up to the other managerial candidates to tell the media whether or not they interviewed with the White Sox for the opening, the managerial opening. We do know that the White Sox never did interview A.J. Hinch. And the Detroit Tigers now, <laughs> shortly after the announcement that Tony La Russa was hired by the Chicago White Sox, they are going to be interviewing A.J. Hinch. So watch the Detroit Tigers <laughs> uh, hire A.J. Hinch when we thought, well, that's the reason why the White Sox fired Rick Renteria because we heard that rumor at the end of September when Detroit beat reporters were asking Al Avila uh, after Ron Garnhire decided to step away from the job on who could be possibilities that the Tigers would go after as manager. And it was mentioned that they would not be hesitating to hire either Alex Cora or AJ Hinch. If they are the opportunity for either manager to come back into that role after serving their one year suspension. And it made sense based on what Rick Hahn said at the end of the press conference, end of the season press conference. But obviously he did admit that things changed and I think what changed is, is that the whole doing a favor for a friend angle, that's how it started. Jerry wants me to go talk to Tony. Okay, I'll go talk to Tony. Tony, we have this job opening and we would like to consider you for this opening. Would you, at the age of 76 and not having managed in nine seasons, be interested to come out of retirement and manage this White Sox club? Probably thinking there's no way that Larusa is going to take up that offer. Larusa comes back and says, "You know what? Yeah, I would come back for this role." 
And then Jerry, hearing that news, says, that's my guy. Make it happen. Make it happen. So what's the point of Rick Hahn moving forward? Because my fear now is that you just hired a Hall of Fame manager who has three World Series reigns that for the last nine seasons has been working for the Diamondbacks, the Red Sox, and the Angels front office. He has that experience and he knows the decision-making process by front offices. So he knows how Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams' jobs work. And he's best buds with Jerry Reinsdorf. So unlike Rick Renteria, who at the trade deadline asked Rick Hahn for pitching help and instead got a fifth outfielder in Gerard Dyson, if Larusa does that now to Han and Han says, I don't feel comfortable making that trade. If Larusa then goes to Jerry and says, Jerry, I need this player on my team to win, what do you think's gonna happen? Mm. Right? Like Larusa's gonna get his guy. Yeah, I can see that going both ways. You mentioned the first thing about you know Han having to uh, talk to Larusa, and I think Han, you know, having a law degree, probably knows the adage that you shouldn't ask a question you don't know the answer to. So uh, you know that probably he probably or he might not have had a good feeling about doing that anyway. But it, I can see it working both ways. Like say if you know the case where this past season where Renteria wanted pitching help, if Larusa wanted the pitching help and Reinsdorf would afford him the resources to get it, that'd be kind of cool. Like, it'd be kind of cool to you know, have um, the wall open up a bit, especially as teams are cutting players and really kind of showing that it's going to be a really cold market for free agents. It would be fun if Larusa said, like, yeah, I want this guy. Go get him, Jerry. Like, I would not necessarily mind that. When it comes to – I think where it becomes more dangerous is if you have, like, a manager wanting – guys acquired a trade or something like that, or trying to decide which players are more expendable from the White Sox depth chart. And he may not be familiar with that. That's one thing that, that was also disappointing to me about the media conference is that Larusa didn't name a current White Sox player that wasn't named for him. I, I want to say it was either uh, James Fegan or Vinny Duber. They, they asked that, that questions about uh, his uh, ability to relate to like a new generation of players. And one of them mentioned Tim Anderson. That's how Tim Anderson came up, but he did not mention another White Sox player. Um, and, and you think that would come up at some point, just talking about, uh, you know, talent he's impressed with or, or, you know, the pitchers he can't wait to use or something like that. But it just, you know, he mentioned he spoke in generalities about having young players, prime players, older players. He, he spoke in a hypothetical. He used Kenny Williams to talk about a hypothetical player he might need to, uh, you know, handle in terms of coaching up or platooning. You know, it was just it was weird the absence of 2020 slash 2021 references, and that's kind of what makes me nervous about like how how well does he know this team, uh, and is he going to like advocate trading players he doesn't know or like, who rub them the wrong way immediately? You know, have a bad first impression right. and doghouse them. That's one thing I liked about Renteria is that he didn't doghouse anybody, but it didn't like there was a noticeable lack of effort either. I mean, sometimes there were some embarrassing twists, but uh, the players who needed to play got to play. And they got ample time to develop and be frustrating and, and ultimately come out of the other end looking like major league ball players, whether it's you know, Yohan Makata or Lucas Giolito or Adam Engel. So to have a guy come in and you know not reflect a whole bunch of familiarity with the current roster, and then you know, if, if you have him having that direct line to ownership and talking about actually trading players and seeing how 
the Diamondbacks traded players when La Russa had some uh, sign-off power and who can stay and who can go. That does not inspire a whole lot of confidence in me. I firmly believe that this is the last manager under Jerry Reinsdorf's 10 years, owner of the Chicago White Sox. I firmly believe that. So you think La Russa will be able to last more than one year? And, and yes, still think he has a taste for it entering his, uh, the last years of his seventies. If this season is successful and let's say they don't win the world series, but Tony feels tired. I think Jerry's going to talk him into staying. Hmm. Yeah. This is Jerry's guy. And that's the biggest takeaway though, from today. Okay. Cause you make good points. This is a hall of famer. This is a guy who has over 5,000 games that he has managed experience. He has seen almost every single situation possible in the game of baseball. And maybe he can figure out a situation or how a situation's going to play out before the computer can tell you just based on his previous experience. Okay? But the game of baseball today is not the same that it was played when he last managed in 2011. So I'm going to be really interested to see on how he handles as far as lineup construction and getting his team ready against much higher velocity and a lot more spin because, and now arm angles. That's what we learned from this world series, right? Both the Dodgers and Rays love to embrace now the different types of arm angles that they have in their bullpen that they could throw at opposing hitters. So that's another thing that you have to think about. And I'm not quite sure if a 76-year-old mind is up to task for that, but we're going to find out. But my biggest takeaway is that Mm -hmm. Jerry wanted this. So now Jerry Reinsdorf is back making major decisions for the White Sox. Maybe taking the keys away from Rick Khan. And what does that mean for the rest of the offseason? Because in the last two weeks, all I've heard about Jerry Reinsdorf is him fighting against Steve Cohen from buying the New York Mets. And he doesn't like him. They have a lot of history about that. And there is fear from other baseball owners that Cohen's just going to come in and he's going to break the bank. He is going to spend a lot of money this offseason signing players when other teams are crime poor. Is that why Jerry's fighting him? Because if Jerry wants to keep a payroll around $120 million, maybe they could take advantage of a suppressed market and sign players to one-year deals wanting to test free agency next year because there's just not enough buyers in this market. I don't know, but... That is, those are my concerns now is, oh, okay, now Jerry Reinsdorf has woken up because the White Sox are good. All right, let me now make my impression. And boy, there are some questions for Mr. Reinsdorf. You got your manager. Are you going to spend the money then to make this roster meet its lofty expectations that the Vegas sportsbooks already have given the White Sox the fourth best odds of reaching the World Series next year? And Winning 90 games, I can't believe that's already the early projection um, because you got some work to do in order to build that team for La Russa to manage them to meet those expectations. It's, you know, this whole episode is just, you know, one of those times that reinforces the idea that we're just all subject to the whims of a weird billionaire. Like, <laughs> basically, like, there's, you know, yeah. nobody wanted this except for him and he gets what he wants and... Like, you know, and, and, you know, talking about the labor dispute, you know, back in the 90s and possibly with the CBA after the season and everything, just, 
you know, going uh, you know, headlong against uh, Steve Cohen. And you know, like you mentioned, like in, in reading Lords of the Realm, uh, that book you're talking about collusion in the 1980s, he's very against uh, you know, and, and just owners in general are very against guys coming in with big money and spending big contracts and inflating the market for everybody else. So I can very much believe that it's not because Cohen's company uh, was uh, – Connected or, or convicted of insider trading, it wasn't it wasn't uh, Cohen himself, but you know, his company, and basically can trace it back to him, kind of like you can trace the Astros thing, Jim Crane, like you know Jim Crane didn't get in trouble, but his name is kind of mud for a lot of people. Uh, it, it's not because of that. I think it is because of just how much he can inflate the market at a difficult time or make it a lot harder for other owners to defend their own actions. I, I don't uh, I don't I don't buy any kind of nobler cause for this. And, yeah, it's, it's tough because, you know, Reinsdorf doesn't answer anybody. He doesn't conduct local interviews. He doesn't, uh, you know, he's, he's not accessible to fans in any way. He only talks to Bob Nightingale and maybe his alma maters. Uh, and there's just nothing, there's no connection to the fans. We we hear second or third hand from Rick Hahn or Kenny Williams saying that Jerry Reinsdorf is very intent on winning or, you know, he's very upset about things that are going on, like, yeah, who cares? Like, <laughs> I don't care hearing that from you. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, you heard enough, you know, after seven consecutive losing seasons, nobody gets fired. Uh, and, or, you know, Rob Matera gets let go, but only in the, under the most painfully awkward methods possible. Like, there's no evidence there's change here. So that's why I think there was a little bit of uh, defeatism in Han's voice, just because this, way I think, was his chance to continue that string that he likes to roll out in these media conferences where he talks about all the things uh, White Sox fans said that, you know, Han would never do. And I think, like, this is just brings that crashing to a halt. You know, oh, we spent for Luis Robert. Nobody thought we would. We traded with the Cubs, started to rebuild. We fired Rick Rantia, fired Don Cooper. Like, and then we didn't actually conduct a legit magic search. <laughs> right. Just, you know, just, it, well, hey, they, they interviewed Willie Harris. Yeah, that's not a good thing to mention, I don't think, because that, that kind of like we had to meet a quota. That, I mean, that's really what that comes down to is like that's yeah, like that's not a good thing to say. Like you, that's you, our minority interview. Yeah, or that's how it comes across at any rate, you know, and just and even then he's a former White Sox player like that doesn't shed the whole insular thing. So it's, that's that's a, that's a bad name to drop on two accounts in the, in the method it was dropped. So, yeah, it just. It doesn't impair confidence and just brings it all back to, yeah, there's just at the end of, you know, at the end of the line or at the just at the end of the process or, or everything's hinging on this one guy cooperating. And he's shown that he doesn't like cooperating if he doesn't feel like if he just doesn't feel like it. He doesn't feel like cooperating with other owners when Rob Manfred is being, uh, you know, kind of groomed as the next commissioner. He's not uh, uh, cooperating with the other owners when Steve Cohen wants to buy the Mets like. If he doesn't want to do it, he doesn't want to do it. Or if he wants to do something, he'll he'll do something regardless of the odds. And I think that's just what all White Sox fans are feeling right now. It's just that, uh, you know, basically your happiness or your faith in this uh, in, in this rebuild culminating in multiple years of contention and playoff runs and maybe, you know, a World Series of prison pennants and uh, commissioner's trophies, you know, it all boils down to this one guy just feeling it. If he doesn't feel it, like, then it just, you cross your fingers and hope that luck and health will get you across the finish line. I think that's really the most dispiriting thing. Like, Larusa can work. Like, I'm not ruling out that it can work. It's just that the process is so bad 
and so reflective of other of, of so many ways the White Sox have failed in the past that you can't feel good about this one working out. What does it say to you that there has not been, as we are recording this, no White Sox fa- players themselves have said anything on social media regarding the hiring of Larusa? Mm. Yeah, I, I took a quick look just to see. As a matter of fact, they weren't even they weren't involved in the in the interviewing process, and I can understand players not being part of the managerial interview process that you may want to have that separate. However, let's go back to the trade mm-hmm. deadline. Supposedly Rick Hahn told at the media that him, Kenny Williams, Jerry Reinsdorf, Rick Renteria, and the senior players in that clubhouse met together to review and how the clubhouse and how the roster was going. And they decided that they did not need to make any significant additions to the roster at the trade deadline. You had the players involved in that conversation, whether or not you're going to make a trade to improve the roster, but you wouldn't have the players vet for any of the managers that you were considering or vet for La Russa before making that final decision. I, I yeah. find that odd. But anyways, back to my question. What does it say that the White Sox players themselves haven't said anything publicly about the hiring? Well, yeah, they got me thinking about Dallas Keuchel and how he said big things ahead for the White Sox and everybody was connecting the dots to Hinch. But then, you know, I'm looking through Keuchel's tweets and he did tweet during uh, um, game six of the World Series after Kevin Cash pulled Blake Snell that he was kind of railing against uh, Cash um, pulling Snell. And then he said the computers always know best. So maybe he was ordering up the new guy. Maybe, uh, you know, he was getting a little bit crotchety to match uh, LaRusse's energy. But, yeah, I think in this case, you don't really run it by the players because, like in this, I, I think like maybe if they're looking at Joe Espada and Keuchel knows Espada a bit, then maybe that would be a case where, hey, what do you think of this guy? How did he run? What was his reputation around the clubhouse? But, you know, if Larissa didn't really connect with any of his players, didn't really know him, didn't really, really run across him, then uh, I don't think they're necessary. But I think you have to keep in mind uh, the temperament of your players and which players you want to keep and make sure they go along with them. So I think that's really the... Uh, the Tim Anderson thing uh, will be interesting. Marcus Stroman, I think. You know, Stroman's a little bit of a, uh, you know, maybe just emotional or something like that. Like, I remember, like, you know, he's somebody, I think, who will rail on Twitter and then delete tweets. <laughs> like, I think he's, you know, he, he, he's maybe uh, speak or like things out of turn and then say I was mis- I was taken out of context or anything <laughs> misstrewn. So I don't I don't place a whole lot of uh, um, emphasis or credibility or whatever on Marcus Stroman's uh, in the moment reactions is something, you know, that he'll stand by five or 10 minutes later or <laughs> so. Uh, so I'm not sure with someone liking a tweet about Larusa, you know, not liking black player. I figured exactly what it like, came down to, but Larusa speaking out against, uh, uh, player activism and, and Stroman liking a tweet that talked about how Larusa is going to repel all free agents like him. Uh, you know, that I think is going to be a trickier thing to manage. And I think, you know, LaRusa didn't say anything bad during the media conference. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, watching on Twitter and just watching people's reactions and there are some things he could have said better. And he's talking about, you know, how things need to be sincere and, you know, that may put him in a weird position of being the arbiter of what's sincere for players who are not like him come from different backgrounds. So that's a little bit questionable, but I think, you know, given what he'd said before and how much, uh, backtracking he has to do. It wasn't a bad start towards that. He can build off it if he so chooses or wants to learn, if he's open-minded and, and open, you know, he's, he's open to hearing what players have to say. 
but it's it's going to be tricky, and that's something I think is a secondary consideration to you know Reinsdorf's quantum leap thing of wanting to set things right so he can leap home, or you know, just not be haunted in the afterlife by something he didn't correct in the living world. It's going to be, uh, yeah. It, it, I think these are all secondary considerations to how the decision was made, and everything is going to be have to make up for the lack of preparation or the lack of secondary considerations. It's. Uh, you know, going forward into the off season and spring training. And I think you know, the one thing is La Russa has the track record of patching up or working through bad relationships or working around them until they, they resolve themselves. So that's why I go back to that thinking like, well, maybe even if it's get off a rocky start, they'll still play well under him just because other teams who didn't like La Russa uh, still played well under him for the most part. So that's that's my hope and really – when the decision is left to one guy and not a committee or not a consensus, then hope is really all you have. Right. I think Larusa can make this work, but really the crux of the problem, again, to circle back, falls on, this is the guy Jerry Ryan Surf want. And after Rick Hahn said that they were going to, you know, go through a vetted managerial interview process, they wanted somebody with recent championship experience. I guess nine years is now the new level of recent, Jim. Uh, so mm-hmm. good to note that you forced your general manager to backtrack everything he said and the expectations he laid down after announcing the firing of Rick Renteria and Don Cooper. That is the problem. The problem is Jerry Reinsdorf is forcing himself on to Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn and not trusting them to go to the next step as far as his process. And I'm sorry, like, this is weird to say, I trust a 76-year-old Tony La Russa to help the White Sox more than an 84-year-old Jerry Reinsdorf, <laughs> uh, who has proven time and time again that he will only win his way which his way is not even a league average payroll is probably going to stay around 120 to $125 million. And you look at the most recent world champions, they're all in the top five of spending in major league baseball. So congrats to the Rays for getting there, but the teams like the Rays are not winning the damn thing. Uh, I just don't believe Jerry's vision can win you a world championship. It can get you there but I don't think it gets you over the hump anymore. And I think it's been pretty clear for the last decade in major league baseball that teams that spend like their small market or a medium market, they can get into the postseason and they can have good runs. But lately it's the teams that are spending a lot of cash that are winning the whole damn thing. Yeah, I think I'm going to uh, write about this uh, either tomorrow or later this week and just talking about what next. But I think where maybe the front office can save a little face, the front office that does not include Reinsdorf, can save a little face here, is having a good, encouraging pitching bush hiring that they can explain. Like they can explain the nuts and bolts. They, they've all uh, – come around to it they've all agreed on the name or maybe names in the case of the rangers they hired two pitching coaches so maybe there'll be names like if they feel like they've developed uh matt zaleski and everett tiford one or the other or both 
and they bring in that guy. And, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, you know, totally Russo getting the band back together and bringing back Dave Duncan, who's been out of the game for a while. Well, he already it's, asked and Dave yeah, he, said no. Yeah. He asked, like, however it happened, Dave Duncan is not coming back under duress or feeling like an obligation. So I'll take that as a win right now based on how little we have to work with. So there's that. Um, you know, I'm thinking back to like Ozzy Guillen when Guillen was making the media rounds, trying to get his name thrown into rings. And, you know, he was waxing poetically about the time where there was only one hitting coach and one pitching coach and they were respected and nobody went to different pitching coaches. Like, well, that's not how the game works anymore. That's terrible. If you think that's how you want it to be, and you can first that. So if, if Duncan is not coming back and, and LaRusa just, you know, more or less gauge it because he's the only pitching coach he knows and, uh, and figured he'd start there and is open to, you know, having a collaborative pitching vision with other people. And he's okay with it. And he's okay with, you know, how the data is produced and how, uh, you know, recommendations made to pitchers to get better in pitch design and, and people going off site to get better. If he's okay with all of that, then I think that's where maybe the front office can save a little face and say, okay, well, you know, LaRousse is here. You may not like it, but we have our guy for, Helping, we have our guy or guys, you know, and when you get into hitting coach too and hitting programs, we have our guys that can help players get better, that help can help us at the minor league level, help develop talent. And that's really more important than anything Larusa is doing on a game to game basis. And maybe that's where I think maybe there can be a little bit of wind put in the sails to make everybody feel a little bit better about just exactly uh, who's driving this thing, or at least not just one guy is driving this thing. And you know, given Reinsdorf has driven seasons into a ditch on purpose to make a point. Uh, it's, uh, I think you really want to wrestle the keys away from him a little bit, or at least share some of the driving. I can understand. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the best that they can do is share some of the driving, but I'm expecting Joe McEwing to be the bench coach because that's who La Russa knows from St. Louis. Oh, he loved him. Loved super him. Joe. Yep. Yeah. Super Joe. I'm expecting Richard Dotson to be the next white Sox pitching coach. Because he managed Dotson back in 83 and Dotson has been pitching in the White Sox minor league system. Dotson knows all of these young pitchers. This is like the so there's your continuity <laughs> pretty much. Right. Um, and then I don't know what he's going to do at hitting coach. I don't know. Maybe it makes sense to bring back Menachino because he only had the one season, a 60 game season. And you know, the White Sox offensively were pretty good. Uh, so maybe he does bring it back, Manichino, but it, it just puts this whole off season is in flux now. And the one part that they have resolved is we now know who the manager is. And I'm sure LaRusso will have very strong opinions on who he wants to fill out for the rest of the coaching staff. And maybe it is Joe McEwen as bench coach. And maybe it's Dotson as pitching coach. It could be other faces, maybe from his time in St. Louis that he's going to bring over to Chicago, but Larusa himself, I do not think is enough for the White Sox to overcome the Minnesota Twins in the American League Central in 2021. It is going to be on how the White Sox add players this offseason, and I'm going to keep hammering this point home, Jim. I am now far more interested on the dynamic between Jerry Reinsdorf, Kenny Williams, and Rick Hahn because... Man, after getting his guy, if Jerry decides, listen, Rick, I can only give you $20 million to spend because we didn't have any fans attending games and I lost that revenue. Even though this is a great opportunity 
great opportunity to make an investment, spend some of the profits that you have saved up over the years and increase payroll to 135 or even let's get crazy $150 million. And you could bring in some real impact players to that roster. And yeah, I could buy into having the fourth best World Series odd projections that the Vegas Sportsbooks currently have if the White Sox win that route. But based on his past and based on the way that the White Sox have operated, I am pretty dour from that happening. Yeah, I, I, I think you know gambling better than I do. So will this news and action to it lower their odds? I How do much does fan know. sentiment play into the shifting of odds? Uh, the only thing that really shifts odds drastically is the amount of money coming in. So if this lowers the amount of money coming in? Yeah, then you, you could see the odds increase because right now it's 11 to 1. So if you put $10 on the White Sox to win the 2021 World Series, you'll make $110. It could, If money stops coming in for a couple of weeks, you could see some sports books push the White Sox to 15 to 1 odds just to encourage okay. people to, oh, better odds now. And I do believe in the White Sox. I'm going to get them at 15 to 1. Um, but again, before the 2020 season, the White Sox at one time were 35 to 1. The San Diego Padres were at 45 to 1. And now both teams, both the Padres and White Sox, are 11 to 1 behind the Dodgers and the Yankees. And the Dodgers and Yankees are always 1 2 because you have so many people putting money on the Dodgers and Yankees, especially with their huge fan bases. So it was definitely eye opening to see the White Sox and Padres have those good of odds. But. And Lurisa understands this. He said this in the media conference, and he is no stranger to heavy expectations. But there are heavy expectations on the 2021 White Sox. As the roster as is, it is a good roster, but it is not a good enough roster to meet those lofty expectations. There is work needed to be done from the White Sox front office, but who knows how the heck that front office works anymore. Oh, speaking of front office, can we talk briefly about uh, the marketing email that went out? Oh, that they had the wrong autograph? Yeah, they had A.J. Hinch's autograph on Tony Lewis's announcement. Yeah, they, had, they were prepared. I'm sure there are people within the White Sox organization that were thinking that A.J. Hinch is the guy, so they were getting graphics pre-made and... At the very last minute, oh crap! They got to make this yeah. a Larusa, and they just missed one little part of the. Yeah, graphic. I just wonder, like, if he wasn't even interviewed. Yeah, how much? Yeah, I wonder how they're like connected to where, like, if you're saying, okay, prepare some, some, get things ready for AJ Hinch. This could be a very real possibility. Not getting interviewed. That's where I wonder what the disconnect is, or what it was like for many departments, <laughs> like you know, and and how they cross the marketing and in baseball operations department, but that's, yeah, that was, I think an extra blow in terms of just how, how poorly thought through this was, or just how rash it seemed in, in, in diminishing the amount of confidence, uh, the, the small amount of confidence that the decision inspired having the wrong autograph on the, uh, marketing email blast announcing the decision. It just, it just always, you know, White Sox fans are no strangers being, you know, laughed at, or at least the White, you know, White Sox fans are used to people making fun of their team. But seeing it just pop up again when they're supposed to be good, it's just like they're not going to be able to get out of their own way, are they? 
And I think that's really the the thing that's going to hover over all of this for probably months, you know, probably until you start seeing some of the product for yourself in person. The person that could be in their way is the owner who doesn't like to spend. Yeah. That's, that is so, a, that has been the biggest concern from the very beginning with this rebuild and it is coming to fruition. What worries me more other than the, the graphic with the Ron autograph. And by the way, if you are a graphic artist, there might be a job opening soon for the Chicago White Sox. You may want to check their job board. Uh, is this tweet from Jeff Passan after announcing that Tony La Russa was hired? Passan is reporting the hiring of Tony La Russa has ruffled feathers in the White Sox organization. A number of employees have concerns about his ability to connect with younger players and how he will adapt to the field after being nine years away. This was a Jerry Reinsdorf decision. Simple as that. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, part of it is like passing does not like Tony La Russa. It's come up a number of times over the last five years. Oh, 2016, yeah. uh, 2018. Uh, there was an article about, oh, when Harold Baines got in the Hall of Fame and um, uh, La Russa was blasting uh, fans and writers of analytic backgrounds talking how uh, – I think he called it a weak ass. Uh, he described sabermetrics as weak ass. <laughs> just like I'm passing ripped him for that. So I think partially is just like, you know, passing is not a LaRusa fan and he probably wants to fail. There's probably a little bit of that in there, but no, it wouldn't surprise me if he had just, some people are stung right now or figuring out how to uh, recover from this or where to go next in terms of re- retaining a bit of their identity and, and, and autonomy. Yeah. I, I will say that you know, I saw people saying Han should resign, and <laughs> he's not going to resign. He's, it shouldn't. You know, like he's not going to one because, like you know, as we talked about, like you know, as we've belabored the fact that this was his first winning season, and also like you know, just based on his body of work, he's more, at least the the work he's shown, he's his skill set is more reflective of an assistant GM than a, a guy with a vision. You know, a guy who can actually complete a vision. Like he's good at the contract. You know, you pull off a, a, a few good trades with the rebuild, pull off a couple awful trades. Um, but you know, he's really good at, at forming a framework. Uh, he's done that two times now with, uh, you know, cost controlled salaries and, and agreeing to extensions. And he's really good at that. But when it comes to, like executing a vision, uh, and, and, you know, re- tailoring and, and overhauling, um, baseball operations departments, he, there's no evidence he's done that or can do that. So like, I don't think he's going to get a better job elsewhere until he proves something, unless, you know, somebody really, uh, sees his skill set as something they can use and they can offset it elsewhere with uh, player development and whatnot. But it's, uh, you know, basically like there are only 30 of these jobs, maybe uh, 45 you count like some title inflation. But you don't give one up if you don't have a better job elsewhere. And I don't think there is a better job for somebody with his background, with his track record. I think he's still got some work to do to show that he can, you know, lead a department and Mm -hmm. lead it to sustainable success. And how do you get your family to move to whatever market? Let's say he took the Los Angeles Angels job, right? You're going to move to Anaheim in a pandemic? Yeah. Really? I mean, you make seven figures. You're not going to get fired. Your boss is incredibly loyal. And now like, you know, <laughs> now Reinsdorf will take uh, some bullets for him. Sure. Well, maybe. 
Well, um, I mean, you will like people will blame Reinsdorf for this. You know, well, for a lot of Hans' uh, career, people have looked to blame other people uh, for mistakes oh, that sure. his name was on. You know, like where he took credit for, like Kenny Williams or Robin Ventura or Rick Renteria. Uh, now Reinsdorf will be getting the brunt of it uh, if this doesn't work out. So it's a pretty good job if you don't really. I should say if you don't really care, but like it's a job if you prioritize security over, um, I guess, being like a transformative Theo Epstein type, which I don't think Han is. Right. So I, he's not leaving. Right. It's a pandemic. The economy is not all that great. You make seven figures. Your boss is incredibly loyal to all of his employees and you're not at risk getting fired. Just go do the press conference, even though you don't agree with the, de- the decision. And it may impact your vision, your legacy as general manager of the White Sox. But you got cash in the bank. So <laughs> I don't think Rick yeah. Hahn is going to be leaving. I, I don't think this one's going to be tied to his legacy. I think this one is clear enough to where just like his legacy will be like uh, whoever he's going to hire. <laughs> we'll never know. Maybe. Because... LaRusso is so clearly Reinsdorf's uh, yeah. call. In that regard, yes. Yeah. As far as how the rest of this rebuild goes, as far as the yep. contention window, I, I think you'll be part of his legacy. But they haven't fired him since, you know, during his eight years, and seven of them were really bad seasons. So I, I don't think they're going to fire him now, and I don't think he's going to walk away unless the Cubs and the Ricketts family don't like Jed Hoyer. If Theo decides to leave and maybe Han moves across town, it wouldn't be the first time a White Sox general manager did that. Indeed. Um, but yeah, Han's not going to leave. Tony the Roos is the new manager of the Chicago White Sox. And we're going to be having another episode of the Sox Machine podcast for you on Monday because Sunday is the deadline for all Major League Baseball teams to pick up club options. So we're probably going to see more faces entering the free agency pool. There was already some big news that Brad Hand, the closer of the Cleveland Indians, was put on outright waivers as the Cleveland Indians are trying to avoid paying the $1 million buyout. I don't know why they just didn't trade him for international signing money, Jim. Uh, That's the way that the White Sox avoid buyouts. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, Brad Hand could be another, you know, high leverage reliever that enters free agency. We already saw Colton Wan, so... Uh, already be declined by St. Louis. So there's going to be a lot more faces in the free agency pool. We're going to recap all those decisions. The White Sox have some de- uh, decisions to make, especially with Edwin Carnacion and Lurie Garcia and Gio Gonzalez. So we'll see what the White Sox do and we'll see who will be available for the White Sox in free agency as it starts to really ramp up and uh, we'll have a better idea on the free agency pool. But for me, after this this, this decision... With Larusa being manager, I'm indifferent. I just think he is over the hill, and he wouldn't would not be my number one pick. But for me, moving forward for this offseason, it is all about how the three, the trio of Jerry Reinsdorf, Kenny Williams, and Rick Hahn operate. And if Jerry is becoming more involved, that scares me. Yeah, I don't think there's anything good that can come from it. No, it does not. So if you were listening to this episode, hoping we would talk you off the ledge, 
I'm sorry we did a poor job. Well, I did present a couple ways it can work. You did. That, that was my contribution to the discourse. You you did. So, yes, it could work under Tony LaRussa. Tony LaRussa could do a good job managing this White Sox team that has a good talent level. But if you want the 2021 White Sox team to make it to the World Series, they've got some work to do. And now it's really dependent on Jerry Reinsdorf's mood and what Jerry Reinsdorf wants to do. And that doesn't make any fan of the Chicago White Sox or the Chicago Bulls comfortable. Nope, that's basically it. It's just a, it's a blow. I think the one thing I will say is that, you know, A.J. Hinch should not excite me just because of the baggage and because uh, he failed it. Like, he failed the test. When it comes, comes to managerial integrity, he failed it. He can come back from it. You know, he can get a second chance at some point, but he, you know, based on what we saw, he failed it. And, uh, you know, Alex Cora, we don't really know about him so much, you know, in terms of just how um, apologetic or remorseful he is about it. But, you know, in those cases, like they had baggage. If, if they if the White Sox got better, some of the White Sox players would have to wear some of that baggage, which I think was unfair. So that's what suppressed some of my enthusiasm there. Quattraro, Espada, like bench coaches uh, didn't really. Uh, you know, it, I didn't see the purpose in firing Renteria for an equally unproven manager. So the field was more limited than in years past for a manager they were looking for. So at least there's that. But Marusa, just the way he was hired and how beaten down Han sounded, <laughs> just how it seems like uh, there's some work to do in repairing maybe some egos or um, some agency among decision makers I think is going to be the uh, tougher part to feel great about. And it's going to take some, a move or two, I think pitching coach, maybe a key free agent just to start feeling like the White Sox are back on the track. They'd established at the end of the season when they made the postseason, and their standards were so high that they fired Rick Renteria despite breaking through. Well, again, we will be back on Monday with a new episode of the Sox machine podcast to recap all the activity that's going to be happening over the next few days as far as teams letting players go, declining options. This free agency class is going to be a lot larger, but who is really going to spend money? We'll try to answer those questions on Monday's podcast. But thank you for taking the time to listen to this emergency edition of the Sox Machine podcast as we say hello to Tony La Russa as the new Chicago White Sox manager for the upcoming 2021 season. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball, as we'll have more coverage about this hiring news and what other player transaction news comes up in the next few days. So make sure to follow us on Twitter at SoxMachine and read our work at SoxMachine.com. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network.
Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.